The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. As we begin our celebration of the resurrection that will culminate next Sunday in Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, I want us to turn our attention to the events of the beginning of Passion Week. And it really begins with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, um, this was no ordinary entrance. It it was, from the human point of view, kind of a spontaneous parade. Uh, it, it wasn't spontaneous at all. Jesus had sent the disciples ahead of time to get uh, the donkey and her colt, and he would ride not on the donkey, but on the colt. A, a, a most peculiar entrance for a king, but this morning I want you to see that Jesus' uh, ride into Jerusalem fulfills prophecy, and it fulfills a specific prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 that said he would ride on the the foal of a donkey. Kings uh, always arrive on white stallions, right? That's how kings come back. The uh, generals come back uh, from glorious battle victories on white stallions. And indeed, there will be a day, the scripture records, when Jesus will, will return to Jerusalem on a white horse. And on that day, you and I will come with him. We will be the hallelujah chorus And we will join him in his second return. But in his first return to Jerusalem, he comes on the colt of a donkey. And and, and there the, the people began to lay down palm branches. And some began to take off their, their outer cloaks and to lay them down. And, and they, they gave Jesus uh, really the red carpet treatment. And it's the only time in all of his public ministry that this would really be displayed. But it's appropriate because this is the fulfillment of prophecy. And it's not only the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, but it's also the fulfillment of Psalm 24, when he said, who is the king of glory? And he talks about the king coming through the very gate that Jesus came through. As a matter of fact, it's the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 40. We alluded to this last week when we were talking about the glory of God. The glory of God left the temple. Ezekiel saw it in a vision. It came out from the Ark of the Covenant. It came to the front of the temple. It went to the Golden Gate. It went across the Kidron Valley. It went over to the Mount of Olives, and then it ascended back into heaven. And now Jesus, who really is the King of Glory, comes from the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, through the gate, and to the temple itself. But the greatest fulfillment of prophecy this week wouldn't just be Jesus' return through the Golden Gate and his return riding on the colt of a donkey. The greatest fulfillment of prophecy this week would be the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, that says, After 483 years from the decree that the temple should be rebuilt, the Messiah would be cut off. And to that very day, 483 years to the day, 
Jesus would be crucified. And the Messiah would be cut off. And the Jews, his own people, would reject him as their king and their Messiah. Jesus knows all of this. Jesus is the one who inspired Zechariah in 9.9 to write about the cult. Jesus is the one who gave the vision to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 40. Jesus is the one who inspired King David in Psalm 24. Jesus isn't just by some incredible happenstance fulfilling these prophecies. Jesus is the one who told Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, this is exactly the way I'm going to bring salvation for all of mankind. And so when we begin to read this story, if your attention is on Pontius Pilate, if your attention is on Caiaphas or Annas the high priest, if your attention is on the faithlessness of the disciples, your attention is on the wrong one. The writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the one who's orchestrating the salvation of every person who's ever lived. And he returns to Jerusalem to do that very thing. In in Matthew chapter 21, right where uh, Ashley left off in verse 10, it says, And when Jesus had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the, and the crowds answered, and they said, this is the, this is the prophet Jesus. Now, uh, if you're asking yourself the question, well, how is it that all the people are asking who is this, and all the people know the answer, the, the answer to that question is found in what is taking place at this very moment. In, a, in normal times, uh, 2,000 years ago, Jerusalem was a city of, uh, of about 100,000 people. Very, very similar in its surrounding areas to uh, maybe what Billings was a few years ago. And, and then when Passover would come, from the time of Passover and the 50 days that followed to the time of Pentecost, it was every good Jew's bucket list to one day celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And so they lived everywhere. They lived, uh, they lived in uh, Syria, and they lived in Egypt, and they lived in Greece, and they lived in Italy. Uh, the, the Jews lived everywhere around the known world, and they, uh, any, any place there were uh, 10 Jewish men over the age of 30, they were allowed to uh, organize a synagogue where the Jews would uh, gather for worship, and it would be these synagogues that the Apostle Paul would take the gospel to the, to the known world. He'd go to every place and find a synagogue and preach Jesus. And, and so there were Jews all over the known world, and it was their deepest desire for every committed, devout, faithful Jew. It was the deepest desire that one day they would celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And so each year, the population of Jerusalem would swell from 100,000 to about a million people. So I just want you to think about that just for a second. If, if Billings was uh, uh, 11 months of the year, 100,000 people, what would happen if for one month of the year, it was a million people? Every, every hotel room would be full. Every KOA campground site would be full. 
And uh, every uh, public park would have tent after tent after tent after tent. And that's exactly what the Jews did. They, they came, and if, if in your King James Version you read the word booths, they're talking about tents. And everybody camped. And they did it to remember that they lived in tents for 40 years when they left Egypt before they came into the promised land. And even people who lived in their homes, if they were good Jews, would remember the week by moving out into the backyard and live in a tent. And, and so the, the whole population would just swell and there were tents everywhere. And so all these people who had come from other places were asking the question, who is this one? Who is this? And all the ones who lived there were saying, this is Jesus the prophet. And the, the result was that everyone was talking about Jesus. You know, really, this is who we should be to this very day. Those of us who know Jesus Christ, those of us who know the forgiveness of sins, those of us who know that heaven is our eternal home, those of us who look forward to the sweet by and by and have been washed in the blood and know that we're going to fly away someday, those are all the songs you sang. We should be talking about Jesus all the time. Shouldn't we not? There's another reason that they were talking about Jesus. Uh, scripture says that uh, on Sunday when Jesus got into Jerusalem, it was rather late. He went to the temple and looked around and then he left. And the next morning he would come and cleanse the temple. It starts in verse 12 there of uh, Matthew chapter 21. And this is actually the second cleansing of the temple. Jesus cleansed the temple at the beginning of his public ministry. And now at the end of his public ministry, he cleanses it again. And I, I can't explain to you a Gentile audience in Billings, Montana, uh, what exactly happens here in terms of the affront that it is to the chief priests and the scribes and all of those who are making, in, in modern money, they're making millions of dollars off of the million or so people who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. The celebration of Passover includes that I, uh, for my family, would bring a Passover lamb. And so all of these Jews who have come from all over the world have arrived with a lamb, the scripture says, without spot or blemish. It's got to be a one-year-old male. It can't have any defect. And uh, the Jews had come to the place where the priest had to certify that the lamb was without spot or blemish so that he could be sacrificed for my family. And so what would happen is everybody would arrive with their lamb and the priest would not certify my lamb. He would find some blemish. He would find some spot. He would tell me, this lamb isn't good enough for sacrifice. And here I am. I'm, I'm from Cyprus. Here I am. I'm from Sicily. And I, I brought the lamb with me. And now what am I to do? And he says to me, I've got a cousin named Levi. He's down the street there. He's got a whole corral of pre-certified lambs. And if you'll get one of those and bring it back, then you can do that. And, and then I go, well, what am I going to do with my lamb? And you can say, he'll also buy your lamb from you. And so I go down to Levi, and I discover that the price of lambs in Jerusalem now is 10 or 20 times the normal price of a lamb because supply and demand, right? And so uh, I, I, I settle on a price there with uh, Levi, 
And uh, then I reached into my pocket for Roman denarii, the, the, the currency of commerce in the known world. And he goes, oh, no, 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 this is, uh, this is Jewish. We only take shekels. Uh, all I've got is denarii. He says, I've got a cousin named Mordecai. He'll change your money for you. You change the money, and then he'll come back. You go back to the temple to the money changers. And there I, get, I say, it's my denarii. Normally exchanges for a certain rate, but not this week. This week, the prices go way up. I, I, have to, I, I pay exorbitant price to get shekels. I go back. I give my shekels for the pre-certified lamb. He doesn't give me anything, hardly at all, for the trade-in value of my lamb, right? Because he goes, well, he's, he's got a blemish, so what can I do with him? And so then I get the new lamb. Two hours later, I walk by, and I see a guy buying my lamb, now certified, going back to the temple. Do you get this? Do you understand this? So, of course, Jesus cleanses the temple from this corruption and greed. And, of course, he declares from the Old Testament that my father's house will be a house of prayer. But when he does this, now this is the second time in four years. He he did this at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Now... It's a, that was right at the very beginning. This is the very end. So it's twice in four years, three and a half years total, but twice in t- uh, four Passovers. They're about to lose, again, in terms of modern money, they're about to lose when he cleanses all of that and he runs everybody out millions of dollars. So everybody's talking about Jesus. Everybody's talking about Jesus And the Sadducees and the Pharisees began to try to trap and deceive him so that they can prove to everyone that he's not the Messiah and they can set up their their money-making endeavors again. And those traps here in Matthew chapter 22 is where we are now. They come in uh, three different varieties. First of all, the first trap, is from the Pharisees, and in beginning in verse 15, it's about paying taxes to Caesar. And this is where they're going to get him. They, they know they've got him trapped here. I mean, this is a high, holy Jewish holiday, and uh, they know that if he doesn't give the right patriotic answer about the Jewish God, that they've got him trapped. They also know if he says that he shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, that they can take him to Pilate and as a, 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 for sedition. And, and so they've got him trapped here. And, and many of you know this story. You know that Jesus knew, the scripture says, he knew the malevolence of their hearts. He knew their deceit. He knew that it wasn't a legitimate question. He knew that it was a trap. And he said to them, Bring me a denarii. And they brought it to him. And he said, whose inscription is this? And they said, it's Caesar's inscription. And he said, render unto Caesar the things that belong to him and render unto God the things that belong to God. And they, those that thought they set the trap, the trap were outsmarted. They themselves were caught 
in their own words. And the scripture says that the crowds, instead of thinking, oh, he's probably not the Messiah, marveled even more. They were astonished at his teaching. And then the Sadducees would come. And the Sadducees had the most crazy story. It was completely uh, fabricated. There was a woman among us, they said to the master, who was married to a man and he died. And the law said that if he died, then she should marry his brother. And his brother should raise up offspring with her. And then his brother died. And then she was married to the third brother and he died. And the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and last of all the seventh. She was married to seven brothers. And then uh, they all died. And then she died. And with a smirk and a mockery uh, that could not be hidden from their faces, they said, so whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Yeah, the scripture actually tells us, if you're, a, if you're a Gentile reading here, the scripture says, because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus says to some of the greatest intellectual minds of his day, you don't understand what you're talking about. And the scripture here is kind of hard to figure out whether he just says, you're wrong or you're mistaken. I don't think it matters which one he said. And he goes on to explain two things to them. One is that in heaven, we're not given in marriage. But secondly, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this, to this very morning, I can say to you, he is the God of Abraham. Abraham's not dead. Abraham's with Jesus now. He's alive. And this is where they failed. And then there's a last endeavor. And maybe this is the most famous of all of them. When one of the Pharisees would come and say, what's the greatest commandment? And it's always interesting to me as I read the passage. This is something that had been debated by Sadducees and Pharisees for about 400 years. 400 years. What do you think is the greatest commandment? And Jesus doesn't blink. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't wait. He doesn't say, that's a really good question. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And by the way, the second's like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And the scripture says that after that, they dared not ask him any more questions. He proves to these who, uh, with smirks and mockery, think that this is just a a naive, uneducated carpenter who's been caught up with the new social media and the popularity of the time. And they're just just going to destroy him with just a, a couple of little riddles and traps. And they themselves are the ones who find their reputations destroyed. And can you imagine always been looked at with respect and then as you leave in front of the great crowds who would gather to hear that see people smirking at you yeah you got what you had coming imagine that must have felt so good for every working man in Jew, in, in uh, Judea that day to see that these uh, attorneys who had always been the cream of the crop got what they had coming well uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are not the only ones to ask questions. We discover in this, and then the way it goes is the, uh, the triumphal entry is Palm Sunday. 
The scriptures tell us if we put all the gospels together, that then he, it was late in the day. He went out to Bethany, probably stayed with uh, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and uh, then came back in. And the next day, he cleansed the temple. And then the scripture says the next day, he came to teach. And the money changers hadn't set back up again. But the temple guard came, and uh, in, in chapter 21, they asked him, who gave you the authority to, uh, to move all these money changers out? Who, who gave you the authority to do that? Because the, the chief priest is the one who has the authority, and he's the one who makes money on all of this. And they, they asked him, where did you get your authority? And once again, Jesus knows the intent of their heart, and he's told them before. He's told them that he's from the heavenly father. He told them that he came from heaven. He's going to return to heaven. He's told them before that he's the Messiah. They've just refused to believe. And so he says, I'll tell you what, uh, you answer my question. And then if you answer my question, I'll answer your question. And so the, 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 once again, the crowd gathers around. It's a, it's a confrontation. And he says, John the Baptist. Was John the Baptist a kook? Was he a crazy guy or was he a prophet sent by God? And then all of the scribes and fetched, they all get together in a huddle and it goes, do, 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 And they're talking. What are we going to do? And they say, well, if we say, if we say he's a kook, we'll, we'll get stoned by all the people. I mean, these people hold John the Baptist in the highest regard. We'll, we'll lose any credibility that we have. If we say he was a prophet from God, he's going to say, then why didn't you believe? So when it gets to da-da-da-da-da-da-da, they turn around and they say, we, uh, we're not going to answer you. And he says, so I'm not going to answer you either. They, they can't answer it. The ones who are trying to stump Jesus are themselves stumped. But the greatest unanswerable question actually appears in uh, chapter 22. If you've got it there, I want you to turn with me. I want you to find verse 41. He's teaching and he's preaching. He's right outside the temple. He's in the temple complex area. They're always at the edge of the crowd. The people are there. They want to hear the Messiah teach. But the scripture says in 22:41 Now while the Pharisees were gathered together Jesus asked them a question saying What do you think about the Christ? Now he's it's the Messiah. The, the word Christ and Messiah are interchangeable for us. Messiah is the Hebrew word, Christ is it in the Greek. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now he's asking a question about the Old Testament. The Old Testament, because remember, no New Testament scriptures are written yet. The Old Testament says clearly that God's going to send a Messiah, and he's going to come from a particular family lineage. And, and everybody knows. So he says, what family is he going to come from? Whose son will he be? And they said to him, they're thinking, well, this is an easy one. This is a no-brainer. Every little boy 12 years old who, who has his bar mitzvah can answer this one. They're like, well, he's the son of David. And then Jesus said to them, then how is it that David in the Spirit, David being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, calls him Lord. He quotes from the Psalms. The Lord said to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? In verse 46, and says, no one, no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone even dare to ask him questions. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? That the creator of all the universe, that Jesus Christ himself, because the scripture says that the father gave all the creative work to the son. So when God said, let there be light, it was Jesus who said, let there be light. The the creator of the universe, the one who created every single baby that was ever born, the one who formed them in that mother's womb, the one who most certainly formed David, the one who created David and formed David. And when he was born to Jesse, he was already his Lord and his God. And then that that Lord would come and make himself a baby, that 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 God would take on flesh and he would come was beyond, beyond imagination. It was beyond understanding. Only, only because we have Jesus, only because we have the scriptures, could we ever understand it. If we were there on that day, we couldn't have answered that. How is that possible? It, it sounds like a conundrum. It sounds like it's an impossibility. And we know that things that are impossible with man are easy peasy with God. And this is Jesus declaring who he is. So this is the way the week goes. And I, and I, want, you to, I want you to have a sense of it. It would be a, by the way, it's an easy thing to do uh, this week. You, most, of the, most of the gospels, the last, um, about the last 25% of every gospel is uh, about the last week of Jesus' life. It's interesting. His, uh, his earthly ministry was three and a half years, but the information that you have in your scripture is disproportionate. It doesn't cover the three and a half years equally. About 25% of the gospel is just one week, the last week. And if you'll, if you'll start, for instance, if you started here in Matthew 21, as you would read that through, and this it's a great exercise this week to read through the last week. And what do you discover? You discover Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He, he, he's fulfilling prophecy that no one else could fulfill, prophecies that people didn't even understand. He is stumping the stumpers, the ones who come and are trying to deceive him and trick him. He, 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 they, they can't even match him in wit or intellectual ability. He's preaching and declaring to the people divine truths. This house is a house of prayer. He's Letting them know that there is a way uh, that takes them around the corruption and the greed. And even if it was done perfectly, that takes them around the Old Testament and the Passover. He's going to meet with the disciples. And we'll talk about this in our Good Friday services this week. And he's going to say, I'm going to give you a new covenant in my blood. And everything's going to change. And the old covenant will pass. And he's going to declare over and over again in every possible circumstance, I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. And they're still going to reject him. And they're still going to crucify him. And it brings us then to the end of chapter 23. Chapter 23 is a, is a sermon that Jesus preaches. It's 
possibly one of the harshest sermons in all of the uh, Bible, certainly in the, all of the New Testament. It's the seven woes. It's, there's, there's no, there's, there's, it's a sermon without any positive things in it at all. It's the woes to the people of Jerusalem led by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the scripture says that when he was done, he, he went up and he sat on a hill overlooking the city. And I want to begin in verse 37. I'm in Matthew 23, verse 37. He says, Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you wouldn't come. You wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have any of it. You wouldn't respond to me. So see, your house is left to you desolate. The last thing we see here in the first half of the Passion Week is that sorrow fills the heart of Jesus. A sorrow because he longs, desperately longs, that these that he chose in Abraham, these that he delivered through Moses, these that he brought into the promised land through Joshua, these that he preached to through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of the prophets of your Old Testament, these that he longed that they would turn to him in repentance and submission and faith, these who would accept him and accept his salvation continued to reject and reject and reject. It's easy. It's easy to criticize the Israelites. It's easy to criticize the Jews to think, how could they have missed this? This is Jesus right here in the flesh, in Jerusalem, demonstrating beyond any shadow of a doubt that he is the Messiah sent from God. How could they miss that? And I suggest to you that the same Jesus who said on the hill overlooking Jerusalem and wept for her, sits on the rims and looks at Billings and says, oh, Billings, how many times, how many times has the gospel been preached in your city? How many times have you heard the good news that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for your sins? How many times did I want to come to you and receive you like a mother hen gathers up her brood? And yet, you have rejected me. This morning, I declare to you with preachers from 2,000, over the last 2,000 years, that there's no other way to heaven there's, there's no other way to find the forgiveness of your sins. There's no other way to find any happiness or joy in this life. There's no other way to God except through his son. And this morning, the scripture says, he stands at the door and knocks. 
knocking on the door of your heart, asking you, is this just going to be a, another routine Easter season for you? You're going you're gonna to buy some chocolate and put it in some eggs for the grandchildren? You're going gonna to put out some, some bunnies on the mantle? Or is this going to be the season when you realize what God wants to do in your life? And you give your life away to the only one worthy enough to receive it, the one who gave his life for you. This morning, you can receive everlasting life. Just a few moments ago, I told you that Jesus fulfilled prophecy when he rode into Jerusalem. And one of those is from the 24th Psalm. And David writes this, Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? Well, it's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? It's the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This week, I I want you to consider not just the great sacrifice that Jesus uh, paid for us when he went to the cross, but that he rose again. And then he's coming back again for us one day. When he comes back again, do you, do you know, do you know the, the parade route? He comes to the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley through this gate. By the way, this gate's bricked up right now. Did you know that? This gate is bricked up. He will come through that gate and back to the temple grounds in his glory. This is our Jesus. This is our Lord. He's the King of glory. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.